Last Sunday, we talked about uh, regret, the word that best sums up my roller coaster experience. And I shared with you my absolute all time most hated roller coaster, the Tower of Terror, uh, which it's really more of a, a ride than a coaster. Either way, it's pure evil, and Christians should never get on that ride. <laughs> I'm joking, sort of. It's crazy. I also mentioned last Sunday that we were going to be in Luke 15 for two Sundays. And if you were here a week ago, you'll also remember I referenced a little book by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God, which has been a huge help to me on Luke chapter 15. And uh, it's a terrific read. And I hope that you'll uh, pick it up. It's, it's, it's a quick read and it's, it's tremendous. Um, I also mentioned Luke 15 is one of my all-time absolute favorite texts in Scripture. Uh, in fact, after last Sunday's service, uh, at Monday night's board meeting, I gave a devotional from Luke chapter 15. And then Tuesday morning, a staff meeting, I gave a devotional from Luke chapter 15. So some of the staff and the board members are, you know, maybe a little worn out on Luke 15. And they're going to get more again this morning. I just love this, this text. So here we go in uh, Luke 15. We're going to begin with just verses 1 and 2. And then we're going to jump around a little bit. But let's start with verses 1 and 2 to set it up. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. This arm-folded, standoff, uh, scoffing attitude by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the, the, the religious elite of the day. And uh, this, this arm-folded, you know, standoff, scoffish stance that they took towards the sinners in their community is the total, complete opposite of Jesus' mission. It's the, the contrast could not be uh, any clearer um, than, than that. It's the opposite of God's message that we refer to as the gospel, or another way of just saying the gospel is the good news. It's, it's the opposite of the good news. It's the opposite of how Jesus' followers should feel about spiritually lost people. This, this arm-folded, arm's-length, scoffish, you know, tisk-tisk kind of, kind, of, kind of attitude. It's the opposite. And so to, to counter the scoffing folded arms of the Pharisees, and to reach out even further to this, uh, this notori- the notorious sinners, like the famous sinners club of that, co- of that community, to reach out even further to the famous sinners club. Jesus uses three parables or short stories to drive home his point that sinners aren't a nuisance, Sinners aren't an annoyance. Sinners aren't to be held at arm's length. In fact, the opposite is true. Sinners are to be embraced. People far from God, are the, they're the very reason that Jesus came to this planet. They're everything. They're the prize. They're the goal. They are highly valued to God, and they should be highly valued to us. How you doing? Amen. You all right? And so Luke uses this word, sinners. I know it's... It's, it kind of has that uh, sinners, you know, sound. It's the word that you, Luke uses, and uh, he uses it for clarity. And what he's talking about is people who are far from God. And, and everybody, and, and everyone knew it, who he was talking about at the time. And he's also referring to um, people not yet forgiven. 
people who have not yet been restored by God or, or had their lives um, redeemed. Redeemed just means made new uh, by God. And, he, and Luke switches the word sinner with the word lost, and, and he uses it in, in, to mean the same thing. People who need to find God. Spiritually lost. You probably won't want to send out Christmas cards this year that say, Our church is out to reach sinners, and I thought of you. (laughs) You might not, I don't know, there might be some friends you want to do that with, I don't know. But hey, we're not kidding anyone. We know, we know that we're all sinners in need of God's grace. All right, how about a few more hands up than just the pastor in the church? We know we're all sinners in need of God's grace. So each of these three stories, these three parables that Jesus teaches, they each have something that was lost and then is either found and, and, or returned. There's a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And the three parables are Jesus' way of telling those who are lost and know that they're lost, and those who are lost but think that they're found, those are the Pharisees, And those who are found and know that they're found, that spiritually lost people matter to God. They're everything. They're the whole point of God's providential, redemptive story. This is a love story. And I know, I know if you read this from cover to cover, it's got more twists and turns than than your favorite roller coaster. I understand that. The Bible reads like a roller coaster. I know that. But all in all, it is a redemptive story. It's a love story. And there's, a, there's that thread of, of, of love, that thread of, of God's pursuit of us, God wanting us to return to him. There's that thread that runs throughout all of Scripture, all the way from the Garden of Eden to the book of Revelation. And, and this, is, this is the thread that God had a way, Garden of Eden, God had a way. We went our own way. Then God went out of his way to win us back, and Jesus is the way. That's the story right there. God had a way, and, and we went our own way. And then God went out of his way to win us back, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You See, there, you can do that on a napkin with a friend in a coffee shop and help them understand that. See, the Pharisees came to judge and to scoff the sinners. Jesus came to seek and to save the sinners. Last week we read about a younger brother who asked his, he asked his father for his share of the estate and he takes the money and runs. And he blows it all on fast living and he ends up feeding uh, pigs and nearly starving to death. And he's knee deep in pig fertilizer when he, when he comes to his senses and he, he decides it's time to, to go home. And his father is watching for him, waiting. And his father sees him coming down the lane. And, and, and his father runs out of the house and runs down the lane to embrace him, to welcome him home. That's where we left off last week. The other part of that story, that parable in Luke 15, is the older brother who has a holy hissy fit over his irresponsible brother 
coming home and getting the royal treatment. He's mad. And so this older brother, he also disgraces the father by, by getting up in the father's face and, and questioning the father's judgment. He, he's, he's not much different than us when we wonder why is life not going the way that I want it to go. When life doesn't seem fair and he gets in the father's face and he says, I've been a good person. I've worked hard. I've never disappointed you. What have I done to deserve this? Look at my righteousness. Look at my good deeds. My goodness should count for something. I've I've not been good for nothing. And I'm expecting you to reward me for my, my goodness and my right living. There's something missing in Luke 15 in the story that that might have been obvious to Jesus' listeners. We don't, we don't know. Um, they, they might have been listening and, and waiting for him to, to point out the obvious, and he, and, he, and he doesn't. And maybe by leaving it out, um, maybe that just made it all the more obvious. Maybe that made it more shocking to them. Maybe that just made it all that more glaring that, that Jesus doesn't mention this part of it. And the missing piece is the lack of compassion in the older brother. The older brother who knows that his younger brother is, is gone and might be dying. The lack of compassion in the older brother would have, would have been obvious that that part was missing from the story. The older brother never goes to search for his younger brother. He's not concerned over the lost. He's wrapped up in his own world, being a good boy to get the estate the reward all to himself. He's not watching down the lane like the father. He doesn't give a rip. His brother is gone. His brother is out of his life. He doesn't form a search party. He doesn't uh, say anything until the, the brother comes home smelling like a pig and gets a party thrown in his honor. Then he, then he says something. You see, the father is always compassionate. The father is, is patient. The father is long-suffering. But the one brother, the older brother who is in, does not seem to care at all about the younger brother who is out. And that's alarming. Jesus set this up in the first parable. The parable of the lost sheep is verses 4 through 7. And we're going to read that now. The parable of the lost sheep. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven Over how many? One lost sinner who repents and returns to God, then over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. See, Jesus speaks directly into the the heart, the, the, the arm folded, scoffing 
Pharisees. Jesus speaks directly into the heart and into any Pharisaical person who has lost their urgency for lost people. Jesus speaks directly to it. And he says to them, hey, if there's 99 of you guys standing around your synagogue, looking religious, uh, counting all the laws that you've kept, counting how good you are, are, you are, counting all the money that you have given, counting your own righteousness. If there's 99 of you guys hanging around the synagogue, but if just one, just one of these lost sheep, you know, and they're, they're picturing the, the, the famous sinners club sitting there listening in. Jesus says, if just one of those guys, if just one of them is found, heaven throws a party. Heaven rejoices. Heaven just goes nuts and celebrates. Imagine. Try to imagine for a moment what a party in heaven looks like. I mean, right? Like, mind-blowing. We, we can't imagine what a party in heaven. I mean, God who created everything that we know to be beautiful. We can barely comprehend heaven. Let alone look, imagine what it looks like when they party and rejoice and go nuts in heaven. Every time one, every time one lost sheep is found. Now, here at Moncton Weston, quite often we invite people to to, to stand when they're coming home, when they're coming back to, to God, when that relationship is being restored, when they're, when they're saying, I believe in Jesus and I'm accepting him into my life and I'm going to follow him as my savior and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live for him, I'm going to serve him. We invite people to, to stand in that moment or maybe sometimes if everyone's standing, I'll just say, hey, raise, raise a hand if that's your, your decision today, if that's what, if that's what you're doing. And, and we want in on the party. We will... <laughs> Tim Lewis wants in on the party, all right? Okay, you know, we want in on that, on that party. And we want to celebrate with you. We want to cheer you on. And maybe we don't party enough. Right? I mean, if, if it ever becomes um, just, just normal, just calm and, oh, there goes another one. God help us. You know? Like when somebody stands, when somebody raises their hand, when somebody comes to Jesus, heaven goes wild. I, can't, I just can't imagine what it looks like. But they rejoice and they party and they celebrate. They're excited that even one person has come home. Lord help us. Maybe we should have you know, paper cannons going off and pyrotechnics like real fire and spectacular light show. Maybe we should do that. Yeah. <laughs> really, though, it's, it's, it's alarming if, if we're not so concerned over one who is lost and if we're not ready to party and celebrate over one who is found. We have to wrap our heads and our hearts around this truth. Hear the teaching of Jesus this morning. There is nothing more important, nothing more worthy of celebration 
than one lost sheep being found. One person coming back to Jesus. Every lost soul matters. Every number has a name. Every name has a story. And every story matters to God. And if there's a way to grow this church without seeing lost souls come to Jesus, then I'm not interested. Because I'm in this to see spiritually lost people find new life in Jesus Christ. And if that fire ever goes out, we're done. We're in trouble. We're in big trouble. We can never, ever lose our urgency and our passion to reach the lost. We can't be the older brother who just stays home and takes care of the farm. The farm. We, can't, we just can't do that. We can't do that. Like the older brother. We've got, and, and think that our good behavior will be good enough. Our hearts need to break for younger brothers who need to come home. That's why the, the, the invite, the invitation, uh, is part of our vision statement here um, at Moncton Weston. We're going to put it up here on the screen. I'll get out of the way. Here's the vision statement. This is, this, is, this is who we are. This is the vision of Moncton Wesleyan Church. We are, you are, I am, we are people inviting people to experience and follow Jesus. And in that word, inviting, is we're not, we're not older brothers who don't give a rip about someone who is lost. But we will, we will passionately and urgently seek out lost sheep until they are found. We're, we're going to be an inviting people, an inviting church, inviting people to experience and follow Jesus. So, so it's in our vision statement. Let's go to what this is one of our six core values. It's out there on a, on one of those uh, banners going around the post. It's in a hand right there. We're inviting. This is one of the core values here that, that we're, we're inviting. We'll be an invitational church. We'll create an invitational culture. And by that, we mean that we invite everyone we know to everything that we do in order to see people get into environments where they can choose to follow Jesus. We invite everyone we know to everything we do because we want to see people get into environments. We want to see them come closer, where they can ask questions, where they can hear the good news, where they can make decisions for themselves on who Jesus is and then ultimately choose to follow Jesus with their lives. I get a little wound up about that. I'm excited about that. Now, you don't have to be Billy Graham and you don't have to have the gift of evangelism, but you do have to do something. You can't do nothing. Nothing is not an option. You can be intentional. You can be bold. You can take risk. And if you lack passion or urgency around this, and if you're thinking, well, I just, you know, uh, the sermon can't go much longer and I've almost survived this and I'll get out of this one. And, and uh, you know, you've heard messages like this before and managed to, you know, to, to get out of it without, without uh, becoming too, too radical for Jesus. And, you, you know, you're thinking, you know, just, just a few more minutes and I'll be okay. If you lack passion and compassion and urgency around this, I would encourage you this morning to get before God 
And really just fall on your knees, fall on your face, do whatever you got to do. And say, Lord, what's wrong with me? Help me with this. Help me with this. I want, I want to be concerned over, over people who need Jesus Christ. I want that urgency, that, that compassion. And just stay with the Lord until he fills your heart and gives you a burden for people in your world who desperately need Jesus. There's a word that, that Christians and non-Christians are both uncomfortable with. There's one word that Christians and non-Christians are both very uncomfortable with, and that the word is evangelism. Go ahead and squirm. You know, just, just, oh, you know. Ugh. It just makes us think of some stern, arm-twisting negotiator who's trying to argue you into heaven and put you through the Bible thumper 5,000. It just kind of has that, evangelism has kind of come to have that, that connotation. Terrifying. Think about it, though. Think, just stick with me here. Okay, you can relax again. Okay, you relax, relax again. I, I tightened you up on purpose, but relax again. We're all evangelists about something. Now think about this. You see a movie that you cannot stop talking about. And you're an evangelist about that. Or you eat, at a, you eat at a restaurant, a new restaurant. And you're like, you think, everybody's got to go there. Like, it's amazing. It is, it is life-changing. It's transformed. Everyone has to go to this place and, and try this food. I mean, I'm a Starbucks evangelist. You know this about me. Yes, you know this will be true. Talk to me for like three minutes and you'll find out that I'm pretty excited about Starbucks coffee. Um, but that's not the only thing. There's a massage therapist in Fredericton who fixed my back. I've told everybody. If I see someone just walking uncomfortably, I'll tell them. I, I, I know the answer. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, I know the answer. This massage therapist, he fixed my back. I've sent several people to him. I was broken and he fixed me. I was lame and now I can walk. I'm telling you. I'm an evangelist about a therapist in Fredericton. Right now, right now, I'm an evangelist about Audi TTs. Little, little Audi sports. Yeah. I mean, I can preach that. I can, I can, pre- I can get passionate about, about those, those stupid little cars. And I've memorized the manual in its original language in German. And I'm learning stuff I never knew before about torque and stability control and quattro and all this. Other. And I'm a, I'm a new believer in Audi TTs. If there's an alpha course for Audi TTs, I'm going to take it. I'm going to go. You see, you will, we will, I will, we'll talk about whatever we're passionate about. And we're all evangelists about something. How many of you this morning, get get your arm loose. How many of you this morning would say, if, if you traced your story back far enough, you're probably here right now because someone invited you. How many of you would say that? Many of you. Maybe most of us. You, maybe you came to faith in Jesus because someone was bold enough to reach out to you. And, and if that's true, like, you're not disgusted with that person. You're not thinking, like, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be serving Jesus. Right? You're, you're not going to be eternally ticked that that person reached out to you. Maybe that they didn't give up on you. Maybe it took several invites for you to come, for you to find Christ. 
you appreciated their concern. You genuinely felt valued that they would, that they would um, invite you, that they would care enough to do that. Even if it took several invites, you're eternally grateful that someone cared enough to reach out to you. Okay, let's, let's go all the way to the very end of Luke chapter 15. You can go back this afternoon and read the entire chapter. Uh, if you want to get the full context, the parable of the lost sheep, then there's a lost coin, and then there's a lost son. And on the very end of the parable of the lost son, Jesus says this. He's, he's quoting the father in the story who's talking to the older brother who is disgusted that his lost, lost sibling is getting the royal treatment. And Jesus says this. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he is found. See, Jesus couldn't be any, any clearer. He couldn't be any, any bolder with the words that he chose here. He says, people who are, who are far from God, people who are apart from God, People who are spiritually lost, Jesus says they're dead. They're dead. They're D-E-A-D, dead. Now, physically, okay, physically, yes, they're alive. But spiritually, in terms of eternity and with their relationship with God, they are dead. I want to share a scripture with you that the Apostle Paul gives us from Ephesians chapter 2. In fact, I think we're going to throw it up on the screen here and let you read along with me. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature by our very nature. We were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ. And he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with him in, in Christ Jesus. Wow. Okay, that's an awesome portion of scripture. That is an awesome portion of scripture. In fact, in second service, we get a baptism coming and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna physically demonstrate the symbolism of all that, of somebody being who was dead in Jesus Christ and being raised to new life. That's the symbolism of baptism. We're going we're to celebrate that in the next service. Paul says, you were dead. Jesus says, you were dead. I wasn't a good person who needed to be you know, made just a little bit better. Or be tweaked. I wasn't a sick person who needed a bandage or a couple of Tylenol. I was dead and I needed a savior. 
And Jesus is giving, uh, when, he, when he uses this illustration, he's giving a foreshadow to his cross and his resurrection. But he's also telling us that, that we have a resurrecting God with resurrecting power who wants to breathe new life into us and rescue us from ourselves and rescue us from the grip of, of sin, who wants to give us new lives of transformation and victory in Jesus' name, that there's, there's power that can overcome any sin. There's... There is any amount of darkness or lostness or pride or confusion or doubt or fear or loneliness or disease or any other thing that is keeping people from God's resurrection power. There's power over all of that. And our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers and and the people we meet in coffee shops or wherever, they're they're blinded by the darkness of this world. And they they don't know how lost they really are. And we... We have a message of good news. We have a message of hope that can change anyone, that can save anyone. We have that message. God is not wanting to condemn people or judge people. God is watching down the lane of their life. He wants to run to them. He wants to embrace them. He wants to surround them with every goodness, every good gift that he has to give them. He wants heaven to throw a party and welcome them home. He wants to lead them from death to new life. That's good news. And we, gang, we, Moncton, Wesleyan Church, we need an urgency around this. We need an urgency. That's my prayer. Uh, we prayed it backstage before we came out, as, as the whole the band and Pastor Dale and I, we prayed it. The prayer is, God, ignite us. God, God help us. God, don't let this church ever drift away or get lukewarm or forget about the, all the lost sheep that are out there everywhere. God, help us. Us. Next week, we go to one service. We start our Christmas series. Christmas is a natural time to have spiritual conversations and to invite others. Uh, there's only three Sundays before Christmas, the 7th, the 14th, and the 21st. And it's an opportunity for us to reach out to people. Some people are struggling around Christmas, maybe dreading it, maybe even grieving around Christmas. Um, some people just have no clue what they're celebrating. They're lost and loving it, and they just, they just, don't, they just, they just don't know why, what they're celebrating. God, give us a deep concern, a deep burden and urgency for people that we know who are far, far from you. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads together. And I'm going to uh, give us just a few moments here to to pray about this individually. So as, as, as you're bowed there in the Lord's presence, just kind of check your own, your own temperature on this, your own level of, of concern. And, and pray for more urgency, more compassion, more boldness. Lord, just open my eyes to the people around me who are spiritually lost and need to come home. 
God, help me to see. Help me to see that every person that is, that is created has a soul, and that soul needs to be restored. It needs to be returned. It needs to come home. God, help me to be more bold. Help me to be more willing to take risks. Help me to worry less about being embarrassed or what the person's response will be. Help me to genuinely show others that I, that I care for them without being pushy, without being obnoxious, without driving people away. Just concerned, just burdened, just more urgent.